Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, about to be joined by the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, as we continue the mailbag. It's a continuation of our conversation from yesterday. So it was pre recorded, and as is the nature of doing off season podcasting, you think it's just about to get quiet, and then bang, the coach resigns and extends with the team. So I'll get to that in just a second. Before I do, I remind you it's small market meets big market. On Locked On NBA Wednesdays, join Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans and John Corrales of Locked On Celtics for a look at the NBA week from all angles. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today wherever you get your podcasts. And John Corrales will be joining me tomorrow. We're going to be talking semi ojale get the inside word there, and just some general chit-chat about the Bucks and Celtics. They've been rivals for a long time. They're playing on Christmas, so it'll be good to get the insight into what I think was a kind of a strange off-season for the Boston Celtics, but we'll get some info there. That's one thing I am going to want to try to do over the next few weeks here is see where the other teams think that they're at. The other contenders, we'll talk to the Locked On Nets crew. We'll talk to uh, some people from Philly as well. So we'll get the inside word and try and learn more, certainly about the recruits, the acquisitions the Bucks were able to get over the offseason. But as far as Bud goes, it's pretty good timing. A three-year extension for Mike Budenholzer because we did discuss Bud on this episode, we talked about the Zach Lowe episode with Mike Budenholzer and that conversation there. And as a part of that, we both sort of said, listen, he's going to be extended. He'll be the coach for the Bucks for the foreseeable future. Uh, I didn't know when it was going to happen. It's happened this morning. Couldn't be more happy for Bud. This guy had his bags packed by everyone else, was telling him he should have his bags packed on multiple occasions, endless occasions during the postseason for him to be able to come back and now win a title, and now extend. I just think it's a great story. If you look at the record with Mike Budenholzer across his tenure with Milwaukee, three seasons now, 162 wins, 65 losses in the regular season. Only the second championship coach in franchise history. He was a coach of the year. You go back to 2019, and the team won their first playoff series since 2001. That was a 17-year drought. Their first 60-win season since the 1980s. I've been pretty strong on this the whole way through, and I understood if the Bucks didn't win the title, it was going to complicate things. But I've been pretty strong that we shouldn't underappreciate or overlook, and I think that we shouldn't have been underappreciating or overlooking what has happened to this franchise since he's been there. Of course, it always comes back to the talent. It comes back to Giannis. It comes back to an excellent roster. But there's no question he's maximized their opportunities to win, specifically during the regular season and this year. It paid off uh, the things they experimented, the things they tried, the acquisitions they made, and they were able to put it together and win the historic NBA championship. So Mike Boonholzer, well-deserved, three more years. That takes him through to the end of the 2025 season because he did have one more year left on his deal here. So essentially four years. So look, congrats to Bud. He deserves it a lot. Uh, We knew this was going to be coming. 
He joked it was a 20-year extension on the Zach Lowe podcast, but good for him, man. I'm really happy for him. It was one of the great stories of the Bucks winning the title. So let's get into it. We'll start with an Eric Bledsoe question. So we'll talk about Eric Bledsoe to start. We've got the over and under win total for the Bucks, so we'll discuss that. And, of course, some more bud chat as well. So it's pretty fun. These, these episodes are always fun. We appreciate you guys getting involved. Let's get into it. Jay also had an Eric Bledsoe question. We, it's been a while since we brought up Eric Bledsoe on this show. Old friend, obviously. He says, do you think it's fair that Bledsoe is essentially getting passed around like a bag of chips? Do you think that a young team could have him contribute to a playoff push? Uh, probably a bad fit with Zion. Uh, the Timberwolves, he suggests, as a team that he could potentially get to. Well, uh, we know now that he's going to be with the Clippers. And I don't mind him back on the Clippers, honestly. I mean, I do think that it was probably a pretty tough season for Eric Bledsoe to go to New Orleans, uh, given the roster fit as well, none of it really made sense. He was probably feeling pretty flat. I would have to imagine that he went from the Bucks to New Orleans. I don't think there was uh, any secret, whether it was publicly or behind the scenes, that George Hill wasn't exactly thrilled with going to New Orleans and then obviously getting flicked over to Oklahoma City as well, and it didn't go well for him in Philadelphia. So I don't know. I'm not reading too much into last season with New Orleans Ferry Flood. So I still think he can be a good player. And maybe he's motivated to play in LA back at a franchise where he was before, get that LA sunshine. Maybe he's got to bounce back in him. I I certainly hope he does um, because, you know, we say it all the time, but he was a fantastic contributor to this Bucks team. Unfortunately, uh, come playoff time, didn't have some of the best moments, but but I I think he can help that team. And I think it's a a big upgrade on, on Patrick Beverly. Yeah, I, I'm curious kind of what his role will be. I mean, I think the, a lot of this kind of comes down to role and expectations. And, you know, I think obviously the challenge in Milwaukee was that he was, you know, for most of that time there, he was the third guy. Um, and when he fell so far short of that in the playoffs, it, it was just so obvious, right, that that he was hurting the team and that he wasn't living up to, up, up to expectations. So, um, I, I mean, him being like a role player, is he, I mean, does he even start for the Clippers or is he the backup with, I assume Reggie Jackson Reggie. is going to play more than him. Um, so does he go back to being a, a backup point guard like he was during his first stint in, in LA? Um, you know, I think that probably would be at this point, a better kind of role and better situation for him. So he's, um, you know, he may, he's maybe able to be a little more aggressive looking for a shot um, rather than having to be, you know, more of that, like, you know, off ball type player, which obviously, you know, his shooting just doesn't, doesn't really allow him to be as effective in that type of role. So, um, and obviously Reggie Jackson is much, much better suited. That's just the way that he shot the ball since, you know, last, last year or two. So, um, so yeah, I mean, to me, I think this is sort of more the transition point for him to move into a different type of role. Um, and probably, you know, it's, it's ironic because I remember when he got traded the bucks, there was a question about like, should, would he be better off coming off, off the bench, um, you know, behind Malcolm Brogdon. And I remember making the case of like, that, that's probably like ego and sort of politics side. That's probably a better role because Brogdon's a better spot up shooter. And, um, you know, Bledsoe's more of an mm-hmm. aggressive scorer that could come off the bench, but you know, that was just never going to kind of politically fly, I guess. Um, and eventually obviously they ended up both starting together in that second year, um, together. So, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, he turns 32 in December. So I think this is just sort of, this is just kind of how his career is just going to trend. I just think he's sort of on that downward arc of his career. I think, 
being in a you know a lower less demanding role i think will be better for him personally but um you know unfortunately um is he going to bounce back and be you know the type of scorer he was in milwaukee I don't, I don't foresee that. Is he going to play the type of minutes he did in Milwaukee? I don't see that either. I mean, interestingly, he played more in, in New Orleans last year than he did in either of the previous two years in Milwaukee, which is kind of funny. But you know, I think people sometimes forget that I mean, he was under 30 minutes. I think he played 29 and 27 minutes per game his last two years in Milwaukee. So, I mean, he was actually like – they managed his minutes pretty significantly. Um, and George Hill was obviously a big part of that, um, as well as Brogdon before he left. So, um I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't wish anything bad on on Bledsoe. I always kind of felt bad for the way that kind of his his obviously his career sort of stalled out, and he was kind of the obvious scapegoat um, in Milwaukee. But um, you know, uh, it's just kind of a kind of one of those things. Just too bad, and you know, uh, he obviously had his chances in the playoffs for the Bucks, and just could never could never quite come through, live up to what was needed for him. So I think the the question you know, being asked, like, you know, put him in a position where he's just helping a team fight for a playoff spot. Is that, you know, a better spot for him? Well, it could be, but I mean, that's where he was last year too. Right? And it obviously didn't really work out, work out so well. So fairly well, Eric Bledsoe. Um, but uh, I think this is kind of just the, the trajectory of his career now at this point, unfortunately. Well, from Eric Bledsoe, we go to Sweat Block. Our sponsors of the show, specifically sweat block wipes that are doctor created, doctor recommended. They work for up to seven days per use. And you've heard me say this, there's a dry shirt guarantee. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you will get your money back. And I keep talking about it, but if you're wearing those gray t-shirts, you need, you need in summer, in the humidity, uh, maybe you're exercising, uh, you need that dry shirt guarantee. I can tell you right now. They're featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters. Now I've done some, listen, let's not get carried away. I've done some low level firefighting in my previous careers. And I can tell you that is a sweaty job. So if firefighters are giving it the tick of approval, I suggest this is a pretty reliable product. If you or someone you love is dealing with sweating, you only have to check out, check out sweat block. You can get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on, or you can also find it at Amazon and CVS. But what about Direct TV? Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible to device required. Content varies by package. John Grabal could be Grable. Uh, could be either one of those. I'll be uh, honest about that. He's got an interesting question that I actually don't expect you to have an answer to at all. So you can just completely ignore this if you like. But just, <laughs> just because I needed to give you more warning for this one. Maybe you do have an answer. I shouldn't underestimate you. But uh, John says, what is the most unrealistic aspect 
plot device, timeline, alteration for all of mankind. I say either the level of ongoing interest the US population has for a multi-decade space race or NASA not implementing a satellite system to ensure communication on both sides of the moon. So for me, when I think about this, I think it's been the... Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this question was about the TV show For All Mankind, right? Because I, th- I think I remember seeing this question in the, in the replies. This, is, this, was a sp- this question was specifically about the Apple TV Plus show For All Mankind, which I have, been, uh, I have m- m- tweeted about multiple times because I've enjoyed it so much. But I think that's the, that, that is the, the actual framing of the question. It's not just r- a random question about what is the most unrealistic or whatever the, the, the term used, correct? I've actually never heard of that show. All I wanted to say <laughs> is that I thought the most unrealistic um, plot device <laughs> ever uh, created or ever come up with was the, the idea of a Yana stopper. That was the joke I wanted to make. <laughs> I, I didn't even know this was a TV show. And again, I shouldn't have underestimated you. That's my fault. Now I look like an absolute uh, idiot. Well, um, I, I, that's, that was a good, that's a good line, Kane, first off. I would have I mean, got it off, but you, your knowledge of TV yeah, shows know, is too good. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm really scared that that uh, Giannis Stopper Al Horford is back in in the West, <laughs> in the Eastern Conference this year. By the way, um, but uh, <laughs> to answer the question, well, at least at least though we acquired Semi Ojale, who's the other Giannis mm-hmm. Stopper. So so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer, so I, just for background of the question. Uh, for all mankind, it's a, it's a, a TV show on Apple TV Plus. There have been two Apple TV, Apple TV Plus. I always forget what what the uh, correct terminology is for their their channel, which is probably not a good sign given um, I subscribe to it and uh, I actually have watched shows on it. But uh, so I'll I'll give you a two parter for this. One, um, I I subscribe to Apple TV Plus or TV um, for to watch Ted Lasso, which everybody who's seen it loves. Um, and I'm really enjoying the second season of that as well. Jason Stake is tremendous. Um, and then I kind of was like, all right, what else is on this channel? And for all mankind was one of the launch shows. It is a like alternate history show, which, um, basically the assumption of the show is what if the Soviets had been the, uh, first, uh, country to land on the moon and what would that have meant for, um, the space race basically? between the U.S. and uh, the Soviets, you know, because basically the Soviets kind of, I guess the implications, they sort of gave up when the, when the Americans won the race to the moon. Um, and don't check my history on this because I, I, there may have been other reasons such as, they, you know, they just didn't have the money or whatever. But, um, but anyway, it's a really interesting show. Um, and I guess not to give away too much, but the basic idea is that, like, it sort of looks at first, uh, the first season is sort of about... Um, like the late sixties, seventies. Uh, and it also, um, and it's, you know, it, it, from my understanding of it, I mean, it, it, it borrows very heavily from actual NASA history to try to be as realistic as possible. It's, it's very like the budget is, I mean, I, I don't know what they pay for the show, but it's extreme. I mean, it's like a te- it's like a movie basically in terms of like the quality of the special effects and everything. Um, and uh, a lot of the first season follows also a, Program, which was something that was based on a real program, which was basically to find um, female astronauts. And so um, it's a really interesting show because it brings about, let's just say there's, there's a lot more, I would say, diversity storylines and questions about like the way the United States, you know, handled or didn't handle, um, you know, inclusion and, and women in the space program than 
um, then certainly I, I can say actually happened, you know, um, in, uh, in, in, from, from what I remember. So anyway, it's, it's really interesting in that regard. The first season, the finale is awesome. Second season is also great. Second season finale is awesome. And then essentially they kind of leaps ahead each year. So the third season is coming out. Um, as far as unrealistic plot devices, uh, even though I remember that question, um, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I would really have to think a lot about this. I think the ones that, that were mentioned there probably make a lot of sense. Um, and I guess, you know, as much as it tries to be pretty realistic, I, I still just with these shows, I just try to suspend disbelief and not, not get too caught up in, um, you know, nitpicking kind of things for why, why they wouldn't be realistic. So, um, so anyway, for all mankind, great show, uh, highly recommended. And, um, I gotta say, I, and I don't know, Kane, like what, I don't know how you, how you sort of, uh, have kind of processed some of these shows, like, or movies because I like Apollo 13 um, is a movie like every like five years I'll like see it and I'll just be like blown away by how good it was um, and I just generally really like these sort of you know whether they're historical um, kind of space movies or just generally kind of space sci-fi type stuff um, I don't know I, I guess the Australian space program uh, has, has not been been much to write home about <laughs> Um, but, uh, I don't know it, it, it as an American, it, it does kind of give me, there's definitely some kind of patriotic kind of warm fuzzies I get from watching these types of shows, but I, I don't know. I don't know if they would be as, as enjoyable necessarily if, if you're coming at it from, you know, a non-American kind of per- perspective. You're a bunch of fakers, Frank, <laughs> uh, but whatever, whatever gives you the fun. No, I'm only joking. I actually have to get a spaceship to get home to Australia. So that's, that's my experience with, with that type of stuff. But look, I'll t- I always take your recommendations. I must admit before the NBA season, I was watching some TV shows. I, the last few months, I probably haven't watched as many, but we've got some time here. I'm going to have to find something to watch. I do need something to watch at the moment. So I, I've seen everyone con- constantly going on about Ted Lasso on, the, on Twitter, on everywhere. Maybe that's the one I, I have to get into. So um, I'll, I'll keep so here, here's a here's a, little, here's a little hack. So I think Apple TV has like a, a seven-day, I think it was a seven-day free trial. You can binge eight or I think it's, I don't know if it's eight or 10 episodes, but uh, you can binge the first season of Ted Lasso in like, you know, Mm. literally like four hours or something like that. Like I I just watched it in 24 hours and I was like, this is awesome. Terrific. And I canceled my subscription. And then I ended up getting a subscription again because I bought a new iPhone and they gave you a a year free (laughs) subscription with it. So, um, so yeah, if you, if you don't know if you want to commit to yet another streaming service, I have all of them. So I just am resigned to that between my wife and my daughter and I, we're just going to have all the subscriptions to everything. Um, but if you, if you are, are on the fence, you can, you can get the free trial and, and give it a shot. Uh, and like I said, between those two shows, you know, crank out Ted Lasso. Now you can probably get through a season and a half um, that they've gotten through uh, in like two days. And then you can spend the rest of your first week for free uh, getting, uh, getting for all mankind a shot, which uh, is uh, again, very good show. One of the one of the more enjoyable shows I've, I've seen last year. By the way, I've, did, have we talked about some of the movies I saw saw recently? I know we talked about Space Jam, so maybe we did talk about the movies I saw recently. I think I did. Yeah, I think I talked about liking Black Widow and uh, mm-hmm. Free Guy, and uh, there was one more. Review. I don't know if there's any other movies I saw saw recently. 
All right, Frank, next question we have comes from at bar underscore built. And they want to know which is your favorite, which is your favorite built bar? Honestly, I can't even control myself. This is getting ridiculous. Uh, we've been talking about freedom of choice with built bar for a long time. There's so many delicious flavors. There's something there for everyone. When you talk to a built bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. If you don't know the built bar flavors, uh, you're missing out. But just sit tight. I can let you know about a couple of them here coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint brownie. Double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. There really is something there for everyone. So if, you, if you, you're not into a, a certain flavor, it's totally fine. If you don't know which flavor you want to pick, don't worry about that either. Just get a mix box. You'll get uh, two each of the nine flavors, and that'll keep you going for um, maybe a day, maybe two days, depending on how uh, hungry you are there, because they're healthy for you, which is the important thing. All you have to do is go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get... 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED for 15% off at built.com. Then it's time for betonline.ag. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest 200k NFL Survivor Contest. It's open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo equals make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to 25 bucks for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on your all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. Will Will Halamu Halamo Halamu um, Will asks. Um, he said some nice stuff to us. Appreciate it, Will. And then he wrote, "What were your thoughts on the Coach Bud interview on Zach Lowe's podcast?" <clears throat> I'll let you take first stab at this. I I don't I don't have it was a little bit of a blur to me now when I think about it in hindsight, but what do you, so I'm, I'm let you go first. What, what was your take on the, on the bud podcast? It was a very bud interview, <laughs> which maybe, maybe made it seem a little bit more like it felt like you were listening to him talking uh, at, at press conferences, but maybe just a little bit more relaxed. I think Zach Lowe hinted at the very start of the interview that Perhaps this wasn't exactly something that Bud was that excited about doing, which sounds, again, very Bud-like. I'm not surprised that um, he probably wouldn't want to do a podcast. I don't have high hopes of getting him on Lockdown Bucks. Let's just say that. I, I think one of the, the shame for me listening to it was that I wish he was a little bit more open to, you know, just give it a little bit back at the haters. You know, Zach was really trying to push him. Zach even threw himself under the bus and said, I was a guy that has written about your, uh, what your perceived limitations were prior to this season, prior to this postseason uh, run, what has brought you down in the past. And Bud was like, ah, I don't really listen to that. It's coaching. People say stuff about you all the time, which is a little bit of a shame because I do think that the Bucks winning the title this year and the way that they went about it and the way that they worked their way through playoff series and, and had to really make changes on the run, on the fly, both in between games and during games. I thought that the storyline of Bud becoming an NBA championship coach and kind of silencing those doubters and 
you know, we've spoke about it all season long. I mean, the, the, the percentage of Bucks fan, I don't know what the number was, but it was very high of, of Bucks fans that didn't want him coaching the team halfway through this regular season either. They stayed the course and he won. So probably that was the, the one of the big takeaways for me is I wish Bud would have kind of stuck it up the haters a little bit more. It's not really his style. I, uh, he doesn't have social media or all that sort of stuff. So perhaps he, he wasn't fully aware. I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure he probably was, though. But that was a little bit of shame for mine. And the other thing that I just thought was really, really funny was when he said that he's going to the Bucks now to ask for the, the 20-year contract extension, which I, I actually saw a few people on Twitter, and I don't know if they were serious or not, were sort of acting like that was a, a real claim and they were kind of annoyed about that, which I was like, get out of here. The guy just won a championship. He's going to be the coach for the Bucks for the foreseeable future, and quite frankly, so he should. Yeah, I mean... I... It's it's sort of one of those things I, I thought it was interesting. I, I, first off, I 100% agree with you. I thought it was a little disappointing in the come on, bud kind of way that he didn't take the bait and engage in the, you know, bud doesn't make adjustments and now you, got, you made adjustments. What do you have to, you know, did it feel good to kind of show people blah, blah, blah. Like he just didn't, he just didn't take that bait at all. And I mean, we've talked to Eric name about, um, you know, just sort of the difficulty, how early in the season, I mean, Eric wrote that big article about, um, you know, wanting to like, like about the dunker spot stuff. Right. And about the Bucks sort of changing things up offensively and, and trying to adapt a little bit more to what they were, you know, what, what some of the perceived weaknesses were last year. And, um, and how, you know, he kept sort of trying to tee that up in, in kind of media availability with Bud, and he just never took the bait. And, you know, Eric was kind of joking about it, right? I think he mentioned this on the, the podcast that, that we did with Eric um, recently that, you know, it's like, you're not giving this, I mean, like NBA teams, like the scouts and the video guys are not going to be unaware of, you know, you guys changing things up just because you don't acknowledge it in a <laughs> in a press conference, like it's this, you know, like there's not really like a need for gamesmanship about it, but again, that's just sort of not his style. And I think obviously a lot of it is cause he just doesn't, you know, I don't think Bud has Twitter on his, on his phone. Um, and I, I just don't think he, he just processes sort of the information the way that, you know, maybe fans think a coach would, um, which is probably for the best to be honest, cause there's so much noise when you're an NBA head coach. I mean, it, you know, it could be just toxic if you're just sort of diving into that stuff. Same same with your, you know, a high profile player, right? I mean, I think you just, to some extent, you just need to kind of pull yourself out of and not, not engage with, with that stuff. So, um, so I kind of got it, but it was a little disappointing. And then, um, I don't know, I thought some of his, I, I thought it was some of the more interesting stuff was like his candor in recounting like some of the, especially the, the lows of that net series and, um, you know, like the like his reaction when Durant hit the uh, the game tying shot at the end of regulation in Game Seven, and you know, like he was pretty open about like you know like not knowing if it was a two or three and and some of that stuff. Um, and so I thought he was he was pretty open about things at times, and um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it, it, and and at times he was like he kind of let down his guard a bit, but then in others, you know, like, like what we were just discussing with the kind of the sticking to the haters, he, he kind of was just same old bud. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, 
I don't know. It wasn't, I would not say it was, I would say it was consistent with sort of the bud we saw in public kind of post championship where you could tell, I mean, you could tell this has been a weight off his shoulders and he just seems like just a looser, happier kind of, which more power to him, right? He, he should be like, he, he earned that. Um, but then at the same time, like, you know, he still isn't like, you know, cutting loose and, and, you know, opening, opening up the, the bag of secrets either. So, and I don't know. And then there was, you know, I, I get it. Like, you know, Zach asked, had, there was a fair bit of questions around like the kind of Spurs era, bud stuff. And, um, you know, um, again, as a, you know, in terms of the fact that like they just won a championship, like I just didn't care about that, <laughs> that stuff. Like I just wanted to, you know, cut into more of the kind of his thinking through, especially the, the playoffs, you know, from the second round through the finals, it would have been just interesting to hear more of his reflections on sort of how he was approaching, you know, game to game, what they were doing and, you know, how they were just managing that experience. Um, but obviously it was, you know, it was not like Bud was sitting down for an hour to do a podcast, right? Like <laughs> you could tell he was probably trying to get in and out of there in like 30 minutes or less. So we didn't necessarily get the, we didn't necessarily get that kind of deep, deep cut um, version of Bud that that you know would would be cool to to get. But again, I I just I don't know if if Zach can't get that out of him. I don't I don't know that anybody is. You brought up one thing that was interesting that kind of leads into this this final question that I have, and that was that Brooklyn game seven and the Durant shot. And Bud was asked what memories he has of the huddle after that situation when it, it is a two and then you have to regroup and you have to try and find a way on the road to win in overtime uh, to move through to the conference finals. And he said that there was, it, Drew Holiday just gave him a look uh, and said, don't worry, we got this, bud. And it was interesting that he, first of all, remembered that, but it was interesting that Drew felt that way as well. If you remember, it's not like this guy was exactly having a good series, but he did come up. <laughs> pretty clutch late in that game seven. And I just thought it was a fascinating insight into, and perhaps not the most surprising thing we've heard from Drew all season long, and we've seen his temperament in big moments. But the fact that he could have that series that he was having, hit a couple shots late, and then just be like, all right, but coach, we got it. And then, by the way, the team only scored four points for the entire overtime period and won. So it's not exactly like, yeah, they had it. But they did. They won the game. But that little insight in particular it brings us to this, this question from at past due 16. He says, does the championship provide the team with more confidence, which they seem to have lacked in some big games in the past, or does it increase the pressure? Do you expect a more stable performance from Chris or Drew uh, or not? So I, I don't know, again, how this really applies to the regular season. I, I, I think the regular season is going to be really fascinating to watch this year. We've already spoke about how we think they might approach it. I think they found a winning formula last year. I think that they'll back themselves on the road. But come playoff time, it's hard to imagine that this team is going to be in situations that could be any bigger than what they were. Down 2-0, playing against the Nets, Game 7 on the road. 2-2 without Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals. Down 2-0 in the NBA Finals, winning a Game 5 on the road. I mean, that's all pretty textbook stuff in terms of how much pressure you can be under in a playoff run. So I do think, and I do subscribe to the theory, that there has to be 
some sort of unwavering confidence, particularly between those three guys with Giannis, Drew and Chris, that whatever the situation, they can be okay and they can dig their way out of uh, any hole they find themselves in. Yeah, I, I think that the experience has to help. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny to look back, though, because it's like, I mean, last year's experience was so poor in the bubble. And the year before that, obviously, you know, it was better, but, but ultimately you still fell short. So, you know, how did you come, how did you summon that this time around, right? Like, how did you catch that lightning in a bottle? How did you come back from two 2-0 deficits? Um, I mean, probably in the finals, like, I, I would imagine that, that it was easier for them to lock in and believe that they could come back from down 2-0 because they had just done it already two series prior in the net series. So, um, you know, the, the team will not be the exact same as it was next year um, as it was this year. So, I mean, it'll be different guys. You know, I think back to PJ's comments during the playoffs of like, you know, like whatever happened before, like, you know, whatever, you know, like, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't around for those teams. Um, Drew Holiday wasn't around for last year's bubble, you know? Um, so there's always, I think to some extent, like it's always like a somewhat new team. Now I think this year was much more of a new team than what we're going to see next year. Right. Just in part because of the the top three guys being the same from year to year next year. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, I think it has to help come playoffs, but, um, you know, and I think that's probably what you're, you're going to be banking on is that they've been sort of in that the crucible of the playoffs and have come out on the other side. I mean, that said, it's like, you know, Drew Holiday picking on Drew here, obviously tremendous. So happy he's part of this team, but you know, I mean, he had some horrendous shooting performances, <laughs> including in the last game that clinched them an NBA championship. So it's like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's like, um, we'll have to see, you know, I, I want kind of index on, on that experience and just say like, well, now that they've done this, like they're just going to, you know, win another championship just by sheer inertia and experience. Right. I think it's just going to be really hard next year, but I definitely feel a lot more confident in them. Um, and I'm sure they'll be more confident knowing that this is something they've done before and knowing that, you know, their legacies are not inextricably tied to what happens, you know, in the game that they have to play tonight. Right. Which is where they were this past year. Right. I mean, someone, whether it's, you know, Giannis and his legacy kind of in the grand scheme of, you know, the NBA, I don't think Giannis is like thinking about his legacy pregame. I mean, I think that became abundantly clear that he doesn't process things that way, but you know, it's only human to, to think about the pressures and, you know, what, what people will say about you if, if you don't deliver. Right. Um, and, and again, different guys have different contexts for, you know, what it would mean for them as players. So, um, and you know, we saw, I mean, they look nervous certainly in a number of big games, right. Some of the shooting, like, you know, so, um, so I don't know. Yeah. I think it'll definitely help. I, one, one final question came before, before we, we sign off. So this is kind of related, but Maverick Johnson um, at Mocky Bucks cat, um, had tweeted us that um, you wanted to know kind of our thoughts on the Bucks over-under and reaction to some other over-unders around the league. Um, I mean, we could go for probably a long time talking about over-unders for, for kind of the, the overall league. Um, it was funny. When he asked me this, I, I had not seen the over-unders yet, and it was linked to like an ESPN um, uh, story on, I guess it's from Caesar Sportsbook. So, you know, again, these will shift and whatever. So wherever lines you get from your favorite um, odds maker may be different from what is in here. But my first thought was, 
Hmm. Bucks over under, what should it be? And I thought 53 wins, 54 wins. And then I click on the link and it was 53 and a half. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I, I, at this point, I think like an odds maker, or at least my, my spidey senses are at least attuned to, uh, to that for the Bucks. So I obviously can't really complain about where the line is because that was sort of my immediate reaction as well. Um, their 46 wins last year, if you pray, per rate that out to an 82 game season, puts you at a little over 52 wins, although their um, expected one loss based on their point differential, which, you know, as people you've probably heard us say, like point differential over a long period is only a, a more reliable sort of gauge of how good a team is going to be. So you're not going to outperform or underperform that point differential for a really long period. So their point differential said they were, you know, 54 win team, 55 win team. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think we could probably talk for a long time about kind of what we think psychologically, you know, how this team is going to approach a regular season after winning a championship. And I think, you know, for starters, um, I think, I think the East is deeper than it's been. So I think you're going to have more competition. I mean, even in the division where you have to play everybody four times, you know, the bulls may actually, you know, win a game before the meaningless last game of the season against the Bucks, Right. I think that was the only, is that the only loss they had in the conference, in the division last year, I think, um, you know, I think teams like Cleveland, Detroit will be a little bit better. I don't think those teams are going to be really good. Um, but I think the East is going to be better. Um, and I think the big question just is, does the experience from last, you know, playoffs does that and the experience of, you know, especially having a postseason true, does all that translate into, you know, a more kind of confident, well-oiled machine or does it translate more into, look, they won the NBA finals without home court against that team. They beat the Nets without home court. Um, so how much are they going to really value going out and really, you know, smashing teams throughout the, the regular season and trying to win as many games? Well, I don't want to say that they're really trying to win as many games as possible, but, but, you know, how much of a priority does the regular season end up being for them as well as kind of the, the, the organization in terms of, you know, rest and, you know, are they playing guys, you know, what, what type of minutes, things like that. So, so I don't know. I mean, I would, I would probably, if I took the over, it would probably be the slight over. I wouldn't be shocked if, um, you know, this team with a little more continuity from last year, could they win high fifties or 60 again? Sure. Of course they could. Um, you know, they didn't play Giannis. They barely played Giannis 30 minutes a game when they won, you know, trending when they were trending for over 60 wins two years ago. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I certainly wouldn't put that past them. You know, some of them are older, um, especially Brooke. And, you know, they had pretty good injury luck last year, aside from that uh, Drew Holiday COVID uh, absence. So I don't know. I, I, I think those, uh, those numbers sort of line up pretty well. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I, I think I would lean towards um, winning a championship being an argument for why they probably will not, you know, they will not prioritize and, and press as hard in the, in the regular season as, as maybe they would have in previous years. So, of course, here at the Lockdown Podcast Network, we go by betonline.ag, Frank, which uh, actually has the Bucks at 54 and a half. Mm. Uh, Keith Smith tweeted out those over and unders there, which overall, if you look at the entire league, uh, they've got Brooklyn at 55 and a half. So the Bucks actually the second highest 
uh, line there as far as uh, wins go. And then in the Western Conference, uh, the Lakers 52.5. The Utah are 51.5. Phoenix 51.5 as well there. So uh, the Bucks are, you know, around that mark either way, 53, 54. I would have said 55 is, is an interesting mark, 55 and 27 across the course of the season. Again, I don't actually know how the Bucks are going to approach the start of this season when they've got a really, really heavy road schedule. If you look at the schedule and play plenty of road games in the first uh, month of the season, first six weeks of the season, and it'll just be interesting to see how they approach that. I mean, we spoke about the load that, you know, obviously Giannis had through the season, but Chris Milton and Drew Holiday in particular then went straight to the Olympics. Do the Bucs take uh, a conservative approach with those guys, particularly with, with a lot of those road trips? Who knows? We'll see. But I do think that as far as this team goes for this regular season. I think that when they tell you that if they lose a regular season this time and Giannis smiles and says, I don't really care that we lost this game, maybe this year we feel a little bit better about it because they've got that championship in the bag. At times this year, I know we spoke about a lot on the podcast, fans didn't necessarily like that they were losing more games, but if I had to bet whether they were going to be closer to 50 wins or closer to 60, I'd probably say 50 you know, they had that 2019 season and then 2020 before the bubble where they were just uh, on an absolute tear in the regular season. I don't think that they'll get to that level of dominance again. But ultimately, I think they showed last year that maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. And the one point that I keep on bringing up, they suck in game one. So why do you want home court advantage late in the playoffs? Come on. Yeah, I, I think the other thing too is, I mean, you know, Dante likely missing the first mm-hmm. yeah. couple months of the season at least. Um, obviously, Ding's your... <clears throat> your depth. Um, I think if you if you knew that you had Dante, and you know you were comparing kind of the, the year to year, you know you basically have Grayson Allen in the Brent Forbes role, um, and and as well as Brent Forbes shot last year. I mean they were like plus one or something like that. Like with Brent Forbes on the floor, like you know they were they were not actually good on the floor even with him shooting as well as he did I mean they had a negative differential with Giannis and Bryn Forbes playing together which is kind of remarkable right because it always felt like oh put put Giannis and Forbes together because you know Forbes can really hurt teams with his shooting but um Bucks just weren't very good with Bryn Forbes on the floor mainly because he's gonna shoot 47 percent whatever from three but um you know he can be a good three-point shooter and I think he can be a better overall player on on both ends and then you know, you hope that Bobby Portis again another guy who shot a crazy three-point percentage I don't know that he's going to sh- number um two years in a row but can he be you know a really good player um i think so and i think he can probably my hope is that you know knowing with bud kind of knowing what works for bobby and what doesn't especially defensively my hope is that maybe they can um use bobby a little bit better defensively like i i you know bobby's a guy i never want to see drop like i just feel like the closer he is to the rim like just doesn't really suit him so whether it's you know actually switching or just coming out higher to, at the level of the screen i think just makes more sense um, and so I think really probably up left there is, you know, George Hill coming back as the backup point guard and, mm-hmm. you know, does, do you get the George Hill of two years ago? Um, which, you know, if you do get something close to that, and again, another guy who in Milwaukee shot a crazy three point percentage, I mean, he doesn't need to shoot 48% from three if he's high thirties, 40% and, you know, gives you that kind of steady two way play. Uh, and actually looks maybe looks for a shot a little bit more than he normally does. Um, I think that will be very valuable and and better than you know an upgrade on on what you had from you know DJ Augustine slash Jeff Teague last year. So um, so I think that's that you know those are kind of like the 
I don't think I'm missing. And those are kind of like the big moving pieces. I think Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale are kind of the, the X factors. And I'm very curious to see, you know, do they try to, you know, switch? Do they, do they try to basically use Ojale in, in like a PJ Tucker type role? That's the obvious thing to try in the regular season, just to see if you can make it work. And, you know, again, ironically, I mean, PJ, they were bad with PJ on the floor <laughs> in the regular season last year. So he wasn't there very long in the regular season. But, um, you know, I think that's that's one of those key things I'm really looking at is, you know, can Hood give you anything? You know, is is that second year back from the Achilles going to be something that can really, you know, start to make him look much more like the guy he used to be? Um, and then can Ojale, you know, just given his defensive versatility, can he give you, I don't know, 90% of what PJ Tucker did defensively and maybe be, you know, he was a better three point shooter than PJ was last year. And, you know, as much as Ojale is limited, like PJ may be like the most limited offensive starter in the league. Um, like he really obviously doesn't do a whole lot. So I don't know. Those are, I think some of just the interesting variables. And then, um, you know, I mean, Giannis, I don't know. This is a, probably, a, we should do a separate discussion with this, but, this is a really interesting year for Giannis individually because, you know, last year it was, well, Giannis isn't going to win MVP because nobody's going to want to give it to him because he hasn't won a championship. Well, he literally just carried his team to a championship. <laughs> so he should have the benefit of the doubt, right, coming into the season. So I don't know. I don't think Giannis, again, I don't think Giannis comes into a season saying, like, I want to win MVP this year because of my legacy or something like that. Um, I mean, it. I mean, he's 100% capable of putting together just an absolute season and putting up MVP type numbers. And if the Bucks are, you know, a top two team in the conference, um, and and right near the top of the league in terms of one loss record, um, you know, especially you look at Denver and Jokic. Jokic is going to put up awesome numbers, but Denver probably won't be as good given Jamal Murray being out. Um, I think it does kind of create a really interesting situation where. I mean, Giannis at the age of 27, I mean, he could, you know, have three MVPs and at least one championship. And man, that's some just really rarefied air. Um, so we always expect brilliance of Giannis, but um, I'm I'm just really curious to see what what this year will mean for him. And you know, I don't I don't think he's he's not going to play at NBA Finals level intensity every night during the regular season. But if there's one guy in the league who you know, can, can, who's going to go hard, maybe not, you know, NBA finals hard, but um, if there's one guy who might be able to just play at just an extremely extraordinary high level on both ends during the regular season, um, even while still pacing himself a little bit, that guy might be honest. I mean, he put up MVP numbers last season. He actually forced his way into the conversation Mm-hmm. late in the season or about three quarter of the way through the season when people decided we can't really ignore this anymore. I mean, I know we want to ignore it, but we can't ignore it. And now that the Bucks have won the championship, um, I would imagine that uh, he'll, he might have the, the favor of the voters. Again, if he puts up similar numbers, they might go, okay, well, yeah, he, he won a title now. We can trust him again. He put up 50 <laughs> in a championship clinching game. So uh, who knows? It's, it's always crazy the way that turns. But it, it wouldn't surprise me because I think we had the discussions that, yeah, I don't know if Giannis is going to win another MVP. Certainly not for a long time if they don't win the title. Now that he has, I'm, I'm at least curious to see uh, how that plays out. And you mentioned Rodney Hood. I thought I should just mention, you know, if I'm running through the, 
the Bucks roster in my mind. Rodney Hood's always the last guy I remember for some reason. I keep forgetting that he's on the Bucks. I've got him down as an X Factor. It'll be interesting to see uh, how healthy he is, how, how much he's able to play, how much Bible wants to play, particularly early in the season. And the last little note I have here from the schedule, as I said, uh, road heavy early, 16 out of 25 games at home across January and February. And then you also have uh, the all-star break there. So we know the Bucks play well at home. That's a, that's a pretty generous stretch of games. They'll get to play at Fireserve, which I'm sure will be nice uh, for them. Or maybe they want to go on the road during January in Milwaukee. I'm not 100% sure. But either way, they'll be at home. Uh, that's a pretty good run there. Uh, just the scheduling note, Frank, as we wrap it up, it is the off-season. So technically, we're we, we only doing three shows a week, but who knows? I might get motivated and we'll do four or five, but keep an eye on the feed. We're at least going to keep rolling through three shows a week over the next few weeks before training camp tips off. I've got John Corrales from Locked On Celtics. He's been on the show before. We're going to talk a little bit of semi Ojale. Of course, the Bucks and the Celtics are playing on Christmas as well, and they're rivals. They're rivals. They've had a weird offseason, I would say, the Celtics. So we'll catch up with all things Boston and talk Bucks celtics uh, later on this week as well, Frank. Uh, anything else to add? This has been fun. The mailbag's always good. You get some silly questions, some serious <laughs> questions. Uh, it's it's good fun. No, I, it's um, my my daughter went back to uh, she she's been out of she's three and a half. She was in uh, daycare before the pandemic. She went back for the first time today. So big hmm. big event having to get her ready for the day and take her. I mean, it's kind of like a school type thing, right? Um, so uh, that was a big thing in my life right now. And we got a puppy over the weekend. We got a golden <laughs> retriever puppy. So, um, you know, puppies, kids going back to school. Um, it's, it, it's good that it's the NBA offseason. Let's just say that because uh, a lot of things going on. And, and we're remodeling our house still somewhat. So, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of random stuff going on. So I'm, I'm going to be dodging, uh, you know, dog droppings and dog urine on the floor. Uh, for the next, I don't know. I don't know how long this is gonna 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 last. This is my first puppy. I've had uh, geriatric pugs uh, the last eight years of my life with my with my wife. So uh, having a real dog will be an interesting an interesting change. But um, his name is Dudley, and ju- I just want to say for the record, he's not named after Jared Dudley. Um, but I just think Dudley is a good name for a dog. So um, yeah. Well, if if you see random. Uh, pictures of a, a cute little puppy on my Twitter timeline or something like that. Um, that's the uh, that's the new dog. So that's my that's my off season is uh, how I'm how I'm kind of kind of spending my time here. But um, yeah, very you know trying to trying to keep things keep things busy here with uh, during the, the quiet period of uh, the NBA off season. The dog days. It's the dog days. This works out. Dog days. You got to get a dog. Well, like PJ Tucker said, we dogs. And Frank said, okay, fine. I'll get one for the family. I'll believe you with the Jared Dudley stuff. We only, we only had one, so I needed two so we could say that we're plural. Yeah. If you had called the puppy Elijah, I would not have believed you that it wasn't about Elijah Bryant. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we, that, that's cool. We look forward to the photos. Everyone likes to see puppy photos. So uh, have fun with that, Frank. Uh, like I said, Keep listening to the show. Keep up to date with the podcast feed. Subscribe if you or follow, depending on what podcast you use, if you aren't already. And we'll continue uh, to have some fun. So for Frank and myself, take it easy out there. We'll catch you guys next time.